Welcome to the Crosslands Church Podcast, our mission to help you experience the life with God you've been missing. And now, a message for you. Before I jump into the message today, I, I want to announce a new online platform that we're using at Crosslands Church. We're starting it today for the first time. If you're here in person, thrilled to have you here. Um, this might not mean anything to you unless you don't come next week and you want to check out the service online. And so if you go to the crosslands.ca website, and the, the link is right there, you just click on it. And this new platform um, allows us to engage more fully. One of the difficulties that we've had uh, since the pandemic doing church online is the, is the community engagement. Sometimes it feels like you're just watching a show and not engaging. And so this new platform, we're going to begin to explore all the ways that we can use this um, to, to do prayer requests online, to build spiritual community online. Uh, if, you're, if you're used to going to YouTube um, on your TV or, or whatever, if that's your go-to, that will still work. It's not going to shut you out. So we have both options available. Um, but if you, if you can, if it's you know, accessible enough for you, then then try to get through through the website, and uh, and then we'll have that online um, community building option for us. And again, uh, we want to encourage people to, to begin to come back in person uh, if you are able. Um, if if um, you're not sort of immune compromised or whatever, we want to see uh, people come back here so we can worship on mass because there's something really special about getting a whole bunch of people in one room and and worshiping God. So as the as the restrictions begin to ease down, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, right now, we still have a lot of room uh, while maintaining social distancing. So if you can, uh, please come back. Uh, when I was when I was a, a youth and a young adult, I was involved in, in the youth ministry in, in, in my church, the church that I grew up in. And I remember we would have retreats every once in a while. And I, I remember one uh, distinctly, and it was, this wasn't unusual for a retreat, but in this one retreat, I remember we, we had sort of an evening retreat service and we had some worship time and somebody spoke a bit. And then the worship time sort of, it just wouldn't stop. And it was almost like, like I was, it was me and, and a friend of mine were, were leading worship and it just kind of went on and on and on and people were just getting lost in worship. It was like heaven on earth. It was kind of like the, the, um, the barrier between heaven and earth opened up and we were spending time in God's presence right there in a really tangible way. And I don't know why that one stands out to me because it's happened a few times. And um, it, it was really amazing. And, and things change. I don't know the last time I've sort of experienced that outside of a worship concert where it was, it was kind of a, like a retreat setting. But for me, it was, it was one of those formational times. And, um, you know, things continue to change. Change is inevitable. We see that in our culture. And we, there are times when we think change isn't happening, but it is happening. What bothers us is when the rate of change becomes so fast it creates instability, confusion. We, it raises all kinds of questions about why things are the way they are, and, and sometimes we just want to go back to normal. It, it creates fear, it creates discomfort. And when we go through rapid periods of change, our tendency is to look backwards to the last time we felt comfortable, the last time we felt stable. History is full of change. Change is inevitable. What bothers us is when the rate of change becomes so fast that we can't handle it. We're in our Hebrew series. What does it say to that? Well, it's going to say something to that about something towards that today. And um, if if you were if you've been following us, tracking with us through this series, uh, we've talked about this book of Hebrews, which is it's kind of like a written down sermon. So we you can imagine this is where scholars sort of 
piece it together. You can imagine an early synagogue, a, a Jewish gathering of followers of Jesus, having their meeting, not sure where, not sure when, but there, there was a sermon that was based on uh, sort of a liturgical calendar, to a calendar of what you preach when, and the sermon was crafted, and I guess it was so good, somebody wrote it down and sent it out as a letter, and it's still with us today as part of our scripture. Last week we talked about Jesus being the supreme high priest, the one who is, uh, he's our king, he's our priest, he's our prophet. Uh, if you wanna, if you missed it, you can catch it on, on, online, it's still on, on YouTube there. Uh, make sure you check that out. And so we're gonna sort of talk about Jesus as high priest, what does he do? We're gonna look at this over the next couple of weeks, including today, and we're, we're gonna talk about the day, the beginning of what Jesus does. Uh, there's something that I, I enjoy watching on YouTube. You know when you follow YouTube trails? Sometimes it's a, it's a bad thing, um, but sometimes it, you, you come across interesting things. One thing I really enjoy watching is when you see an artist drawing a picture live. And they're usually um, sped up so that it doesn't take you know, the four hours real time. You can watch this in sort of half an hour. And I find it, it, it's amazing. I find it both fascinating and frustrating because you see it and they make it look so easy. They start with some just some simple lines. It, it just looks so simple, and as, as, as they add more lines, add more lines, it, it becomes a sketch, and you see where it's going. And, and there are many times I've watched these videos, and you go, that's it, that's the finished drawing, and they just keep going. And it just gets better, and better, and better, and they add more layers, and, and, and highlights, and, and fill in the shadows, and color, and they add tones, and at the end, it's just this amazing picture, and then you go and try it, right? And you go, oh, I gave up after 10 minutes. I, just, I can't even get the first lines right, you know? Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the sketch becoming the real thing this morning. I'm, I'm going to start in Hebrews 8, verse 5. We're sort of, we did Hebrews 7 last week. Today we're talking about Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8, 5 says this. They, this is, the they here is the priests of the Old Covenant. So when you talk about Old Testament, New Testament, there's this old agreement with God. This is describing those priests. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy. That word for copy could also be translated sketch or outline. So they, what they're serving, and there's sort of the, the idea of a sketch, just the, sort of the basic lines that sort of sketch out the real thing. It's only a copy or a shadow of the real one in heaven. Okay, so pay attention to these words. They serve in a system that is a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, the tabernacle was the tent, the place where they worshiped, met with God. God gave him this warning. And he's quoting here from the Old Testament, from Exodus 25. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern. And Greek lexicon says that that word for pattern would be the same as an archetype, the prototype, the basic model from which copies are made. Okay, according to the pattern, type, pattern, the, the model I have shown you here on the mountain. So there's this amazing experience that God has with God, that Moses has with God. And God says, you're going to institute worship amongst my people and here is the pattern that you follow. And what Exodus says here that Hebrews picks up on, the author of Hebrews picks up on, is that there's a reality in heaven that all the Old Testament worship copied. It was a copy. It was, it was a shadow. When, when you cast a shadow, so I'm standing on stage here, the shadow is here, the light is there. So here's a shadow that's in the past, the history, this being what is causing the shadow is something that's in the present, shone on by light in the future. That's how the shadow works. We look forward to the reality. 
So here we have this tabernacle, this, this tent of worship. It's a fancy word that means a tent, okay, tabernacle. I, I'm struck by how many of our, in our tradition, a lot of our churches used to be called tabernacles. I used to, be, I used to work in a church that had the word tabernacle in the, in the name, and it was a physical building, and I just find that somewhat, somewhat ironic. Tabernacle was intended to be a, a tent that could be torn down and relocated. Why? Because God wants to meet with his people. God instituted a system by which he could meet with, engage with, have relationship with humanity. And so when he established his people, he established a means by which people could come to him. And that that tent was part of that package. It was a meeting place with God. Not only that, it was, it was, a, it was a physical or earthly model of the reality in heaven. And, and here's what's going on here. So, so God, when God wants to meet with humans, we're limited, we're kind of dumb. Um, we, we, we're addicted to our senses. So what God does is he accommodates our understanding. He accommodates our culture. And there's two ways that this is happening in this passage here. I'm gonna tell you both of them. There was a, if you've ever taken high school philosophy, you start with Plato. Not Plato, that's kindergarten. High school philosophy is Plato, the philosopher. And he had this idea that everything that we experience, everything in this world, whether it be chairs, tables, humans, uh, beavers, or, or giraffes, or trees, there's actually an ideal that each one of those resembles to varying degree. The ideal exists in some either imaginary realm or a heavenly realm. And when, when the book of Hebrews is being written, this this Platonic philosophy was becoming very, very popular again. In fact, it's called Middle Platonism or Middle Platonism. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, we understand that idea of the ideal. There's an ideal in heaven. I, I, I point up and we have this idea that heaven is up there and it's, it's not. It's kind of like, it's sort of everywhere but behind a veil that we can't see. So there's a, there's a, there's a reality that we can't see and and this is what the tent represented. This is how God accommodated that first century culture. And even the culture before that, because before that there was a sense that a temple or a place of meeting with your deity, not just in Israel, but all around all the cultures around them, that where you meet with your God was actually an overlap between heaven and earth. It was like the heavenly realm overlaps with earth. When you, when you go into the temple, you're not just going into a physical location on earth, you're actually entering heaven. This is where God is. This is not just an Israelite sort of concept. It, it's actually documented in the Babylonian, ancient Babylonian text called the, uh, the Enuma Elish. The same concept. When you enter the temple, you're entering heaven to engage with God himself. There's an overlap there. And so this tent that, that God, uh, told Moses to, to build was a way of him meeting with people, with the people that he loves. And it accommodated their understandings. It was both a symbol of that agreement that they had. Say, you are my people, I am your God. This tabernacle symbols where we meet together. And it was a mechanism to accommodate it. It's not just a symbol of, the, of that agreement, that covenant. It actually made it happen because God wants to meet with people. He wants to engage with people because he loves us. And so this is how it happened. So we see that Moses was given instructions to build a model of a heavenly reality in that first agreement, but that first agreement was never intended to be permanent. 
it pointed ahead to a second agreement, a second covenant that was always the intention. And there was a point at which God's spokespeople prophesied this. The new agreement is coming. And they anticipated it. As the prophet says, like, yeah, we're looking forward to the day when we can, we can engage with God in the new covenant. And this is prophesied in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. So there was always limited access in the old system. You had a, a hierarchy, so, so the people could only come so far into God's presence and then beyond that they were represented by the priests and, and the priests themselves were re represented by the high priest and, and there, were, there were layers of access. But actually accessing God's presence was somewhat limited Beyond the fact that it was limited geography, the tabernacle is in one place. I mean, it would move around, but it was in one place. Here's an, here's an interesting, um, interesting thought. Well, it's interesting to me. I hope it's interesting to you. We talked early on in the series about nobody really knows exactly when this book was written. And nobody knows exactly where it was written, where it take place. Now, here's, here's a thought. The author continually uses the word tabernacle, not temple. Why? Because it was a temple that existed. And so the, the idea that some scholars have is that this book was not written anywhere near Jerusalem. It was written somewhere far from Jerusalem, maybe even in a non-Jewish territory. That, that's a, I don't know, just an interesting little tidbit. There was a, there's a pastor in Atlanta. He's got a megachurch down there. Um, really good communicator. His name is Andy Stanley. And he really got in trouble a couple of years ago um, because he said something that offended a lot of people. He said, parts of the Bible are obsolete. Which does sound pretty offensive because we are followers of Jesus and we believe the Bible. What's interesting though is that when you read Hebrews 8.13, same chapter, it says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. So the Bible itself, see the, the old agreement, the old covenant is outlined in the Old Testament. And Hebrews says that parts of the Old Testament are now obsolete because we're not under that agreement before anymore. The Bible itself says that parts of the Bible are obsolete. It points to the future. It points to the present reality. But we don't live there because it's weak and useless. That first tent was a copy of the original in heaven. It, was, it, it modeled the ideal access to God. It anticipated the real thing. See, Jesus gives us access to God's presence in a way that the first tent couldn't because the first was limited geographically. If you live in, in, in Gaul or, or Ethiopia, you couldn't just go to the tabernacle. It's a long way away. You couldn't even go because you, you need to be purified and if you're not a priest, you can't go in. There's limited access. But the new tabernacle, the new tent of meeting, the spiritual reality that Jesus makes available to us is superior because it's not limited. More than that, the author of Hebrews says that because Jesus has been revealed because this new access to God has been revealed. Stop worshiping in the old one. 
The old one is obsolete. God was doing something new for which the old model no longer worked. It was obsolete. Here's another hint as to the date of writing. Um, the, the, the actual temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and the author never appeals to that. He never says, hey, look, the temple's destroyed anyway. So most scholars believe that Hebrews was written before that temple was destroyed. Otherwise, it would have been a perfect case study for what he's saying here. But there's a tension of faithfulness. Okay, there's a tension here because to be faithful to God under the old covenant meant you went to the temple or the tent of meeting. That's what you did. But to be faithful to God under the new agreement meant to discard the old, to abandon faithfulness to that and be faithful to God's new way of doing things. God was doing something completely new. And to maintain faith, to maintain that trustworthiness and that, that allegiance to the old system was actually to betray God's intent. You keep doing it the old way and you're actually denying what God wants to do, what God is doing. That's, that's a bit heavy. When I was really young, um, back in the Stone Age, we had family time um, every, every night after our meal. We'd go and wash the dishes. We didn't have the luxury of a dishwasher. And it was, it, it's a pattern of life. This is what we do. We eat, then we wash the dishes, dry the dishes, put the dishes away. I never know what the turn the dishes over thing came from. That's a really old rhyme. We put them away. Now, when our kids were little, we, we had a dishwasher. And so that we didn't have that pattern of family life. This is what we would do though. Typically on a Saturday, uh, myself or Michelle or the two of us would take the kids and we would walk the sort of half a kilometer to the local video store. There used to be a thing called a video store, okay? And, and you used to get like a videotape and you would rent it for $5.25 at our video store and you'd walk home and we would usually rent two, one for the whole family and then one would put the kids to bed and watch our movie, right? And then the next day, you, somebody's got to take it back and we wouldn't go together. Just somebody's got to go take the video back. But the four of us would go, so you'd go through the video store together and it was like, we did it every week. It was like, it's a family pattern, it's a family tradition. We even had a really valuable piece of equipment in our house called a videotape rewinder, which is completely useless now. We have these patterns of practice in our families. We do this. It's what maintains momentum. It's, it's what creates structure in our lives. It creates inertia. There's, there's family habits. There's business practices. Same thing. And there's church traditions. We have church traditions. So we have a framework. You can't do something new every Sunday. We don't change the time that we meet every Sunday because people wouldn't know what was going on. So we have, a, we have a regular scheduled practice. Most of the things we do, we've inherited from the past. Our practices exist to facilitate access to God. You come here not to listen to me speak, maybe you do, not just to sing songs, but to encounter God himself, the infinite creator of the universe who made you to love you. We come here to encounter him, to meet with him. I mean, I, I just said that the tabernacle is a physical, limited place geographically, and we no longer need that, and yet we still meet in a building because it facilitates, it's a practice that facilitates us meeting, but we could meet anywhere. It doesn't have to be here in this building. It's why it wasn't so much of a challenge for us to go online we can meet with God in our living rooms. It's better to meet together in person 
But if we can't, we can still do it online. Everything we do is intended to facilitate access to God, but sometimes we have things that restrict access to God, which is a problem if God wants to meet with humanity. What are we doing? Are we doing things that facilitate access to God or that restrict it? When I worked out west, I worked in a church which was a lot more traditional than this one. There was a really old lady, sweet old lady in the church, and um, she was quite lonely. And it was, um, it was one of those problems that didn't fix itself because she was lonely. She was always looking for people to talk to. And she ever, if she ever had the opportunity to talk to you, she would talk to you for as long as she could to the point where you started to avoid her because you couldn't spend that much time talking to somebody. So she was, she was always lonely because people wouldn't talk to her because every time you'd get into a conversation, you couldn't get out of it. And it's like, I, I, what do you do? And there were many, at least two or three times she would talk to me and she would say, you know what I really miss? I really miss the old hymns. And she meant it. She meant it. There was at least twice in conversation she said that to me and a tear rolled down her cheek. She wished we could sing the old hymns. What's interesting in that church is we had a, at least one or two services that were like those youth retreats that I attended when I was young. I remember one Sunday morning, the pastor was going to preach and then he didn't. The entire service, the worship just kept going and it kept going. And the pastor didn't preach and, and people were lost in worship and, and it was like heaven and earth met and overlapped and we were right in God's presence. It was an awesome experience. Absolutely awesome experience. But if you discount that because they're not singing the songs you like, you might be missing something. I have favorite songs. I have a favorite hymn. Won't say what it is, but we'll never sing it here. Because the language is outdated. People don't understand it. When people don't understand the language, you know what it does? It creates a barrier between them and the encounter with God because they're trying to figure out what the words even mean. Because when we encounter God, it's not about the music I like. It's not about the music I prefer. We don't sing the songs here that we sang at those youth retreats when I was young. And I still enjoy hearing them. We're blessed today because I can always find the songs I like on YouTube or Spotify or whatever. That's great. So how does this happen? The problem is that our emotions are sticky. That's not a problem. It's just the way it is. Emotions are sticky. Emotions are what bind us to one another in relationship. Without emotion there, we tend not to stick. Emotions are reminders of what have happened in the past. They're, they're powerful. Emotions are powerful motivators to move us forward. And sometimes emotions are unreliable indicators as to what's going on in your mind and your heart. I say unreliable because they're not always trustworthy, but they're sticky. And so because they're sticky, they, and they remind us of the past, they give us, uh, they, they motivate us to re-experience things from the past. But here's where the problem happens. See, when you've, when you've experienced positive things in the past, like family times of doing the dishes together or family times of walking to the video store together, you can't recreate that anymore. I can't call my kids, who are 22 and 23, come over, we're gonna walk to the video store together, only because the video store no longer exists. Can't do that, it's a new day. And so what happens sometimes is we try to recreate 
the emotions of the past rather than going to what gave us those emotions to begin with. We try to recreate the emotions of the past, creating an idol of our emotions rather than going to God who made it happen to begin with. And God's doing something new. Oh, it was real in the past. Absolutely it was real. You don't discount the experiences of the past, they're real. We can't recreate them. Here's, here's how it happens in the church. See, everything we do, our traditions, our practices, our, our songs, the things we cherish, the things we're used to are accumulations of two things from the past. They're accumulations of cultural changes. Styles of music change. The, culture, the way the culture communicates changes. The way the culture dresses changes. And so the church responds to culture. That is not wrong, because God wants to meet with people. He loves people, and so he approaches people where they are in culture. So culture changes, and the church adopts new practices. The second thing that happens is God reforms and renews and corrects his church over time. Capital C Church. And so there are new traditions, new practices, new songs. Every time there's, a, there's this revival movement, revival movements are marked by new music. And so things change. There are new changes. And, and so new practices are added, new songs are added. And the old ones are discarded, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes you have these accumulations and layers and layers of tradition and practice, and sometimes you dare not change one because people get really upset. Why? Because they're emotionally connected to the practice, to the mechanism, to the old tent. When God is doing something new, the practices of the past can actually become impediments to us meeting with God because we're addicted emotionally to the practice rather than Desiring to connect with the person that practice was intended to connect us to, God himself. Don't let the forms of faith replace Christ at the center. Because he desires to meet with you, not to watch you go through a practice. The second way it creates a problem is because when new people come in, and they have no idea what's going on, if our practices are opaque, if, if they're unexplainable, if the language is old, people don't understand it, then all of a sudden what was intended to, be, to facilitate relations with God actually creates a barrier. People go, I have no idea what's going on here. And we do our best to explain, but sometimes we just need to discard an old practice or some old language or old expectations because we're here to meet with God. We recognize the past, we recognize what God has done. But when we're addicted to the past, then mission, our purpose for existing on earth, we exist to know God. We exist on earth to fulfill his mission. Well, we dare not let our preferences and our comfort levels take first place over the mission. What was in the past? Like that first temple. Anticipated what was to come. All the best experiences you've had with, with God in the past, in church, with family, with, with, with uh, the family of God are foretastes of what will be coming. What will be coming in eternity and on earth here. God is doing something new for which some of our old models 
are obsolete, like the old tent. Some of the practices we've done in the past, some of the things we've done, they're, uh, even ones that worked. I mean, you wouldn't do them if it didn't work. But they're, but they're transient. They're meant to be temporary. Because only Christ is permanent. Remember, he's that permanent high priest. High priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And if those last few words really confuse you, listen to last week's message. So here's some questions for you. What's emotionally sticky for you? What are the things that you have in your experiences with God in the past? You go, that means so much to me. What are the things that are emotionally sticky? What traditions and expressions give you a sense of loss if they're discarded? That's a hard question. What new expressions cause you discomfort? We need to evaluate all of those things in the light of Christ, because in the light of Christ, sometimes those things are just revealed to be a shadow. Christ himself is the place where we access God. So examine your emotional response. What, what do I do with this on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Examine your emotional response. If this message today upset you, ask God to show you why. I mean, I could be wrong, right? Maybe he's going to say, Fred's wrong. But maybe you have an emotional sticky connection to something that needs to be discarded because God has something new for today and for the future. We did a message in Hebrews where the message was today is the day. Today is the day to meet with God. Today is the day to turn to him and obey. Not the past. Today. Examine your emotional responses. Discomfort, boredom, anxiety, nostalgia, and bring them to God and let him shine the light on you. Now, there's some of you today that um, maybe you're, you've had religious experience all your life and, and you find comfort in that, which is fine. But maybe you've never actually experienced God. There was an announcement we had before in the video. Uh, it was The Way. It's a discipleship package. If you have never heard from God, if you have never experienced him in more than a um, goosebumps in a worship service thing or somebody said something, if you've never actually had that engagement with him as person to person, we're a small p person, he's capital P, engaging with the person, if you've never had that, then the abide course is for you. That's why we're doing it, so you can learn to hear from God and to live in him. I've taken the abide course, and, and you know what? I've, I've been, I, I, hate, I hesitate to say this because it just reveals my age. I've been, I've been a follower of Jesus for over 45 years, and I've been a pastor for over 20 years, and I learned new things and encountered God in new ways in the abide course. I, that's why we're excited about it. If it works for me to experience something new, to hear God speak to you, to engage him, to, to encounter him, then it'll certainly work for you. We've heard tons of stories about that. So go to crosslands.live and, uh, and click Abide. If you've done Abide, I mean, everybody that has done Abide, you already know, you have, there's other courses that are available. You want to start with Abide. Learn to hear from God. Maybe you're not even cross that line of faith. Maybe you're not even in relationship with God. And God, he made you to love you. He made you to be in relationship with him. That's why this whole, you know, first tent, second tent thing he made you to love you, but it starts with you 
turning to him. See, he's already pointed towards you. He's already got his arms outstretched to, give you, to, to love you. It's we that have turned from him. So how do you turn to him? It's as simple as ABC. A is admit your need. Admit, acknowledge that you've lived outside of God's intention. You've lived outside of relationship with him. You can't experience his love because you, you've turned, you're turned away from him. B is believe, which is an expression of trust. I am trusting that Jesus is that way. That Jesus, that, that, that high priest, the king, the, the prophet, the priest, that somehow through his death and resurrection, he's made access to God available to me. I'm choosing to believe that. And then C is to commit. To commit means I'm not living my old life anymore. I'm turning to you, God. I'm turning to Jesus as the decision maker in my life. So my old life is left behind and I'm living a new life. And if this is a decision you're making today, uh, I wanna, I want I'm gonna say a prayer. I'm gonna challenge you to make these your words, whether you try to repeat them after, I'll try to say it slow or, or just internalize them in your heart. Make them your words. Pray something like this. Father in heaven, I am acknowledging that I am turned away from you, that I need you. I'm choosing to believe today, to trust in Jesus as the means to relationship with you. And I'm choosing to commit my life completely to you today. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Amen. And if this is a decision you're making today for the first time, please connect with us because it's just the start of a whole new spiritual journey. Connect with us on Cross and Stott Live um, and uh, click the Follow Jesus button. Give us your contact info. Uh, we'll get back to you. We will give you tools, probably steer you towards the Abide course so you can learn to experience God on a daily basis. I can't recre recreate the, um, the youth retreats of my my youth and young adult years. Those are in the past. I've engaged with God in, in many ways over many occasions, but it would, be, it would be a mistake for me to recreate those things because I have an emotional connection to them. When God is doing something new, the old models can become obsolete. There's new songs, new traditions, new styles. What matters is Jesus. What matters is your engagement with Jesus on a daily basis. We can know God. We can meet God wherever we are because wherever we are, He is. And Jesus gives us access to His presence, to that new tent. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You that you love us and you desire relationship with us. You desire relationship with us more than we even desire relationship with you. So Father, open our spiritual eyes, open our spiritual ears to see the opportunities we have to engage with you. Father, also help us to walk through a, a spirit-led evaluation of what we're emotionally tied to. We don't want to be held back by the past. We don't want to have uh, barriers in the way between us and you. And we certainly don't want to put barriers up between others and you. Help us to smooth the path 
by eliminating anything that gets in the way as we run to you into your open, outstretched arms. Help us to know you and be known by you more fully. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Crosslands Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or the Google Play Store so that it comes straight to your device. And to find out more about Crosslands Church, you can visit us at crosslands.ca. Join us next week for another message to help you experience the life with God you've been missing.